Hello, this is Mike Wheeler, co-host of Agility at Work. Great to see you, Kim, uh, in partnership again on this podcast. Hi, Mike. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, I've picked up another assignment here at the Harvard Business School. I'll be teaching a hybrid course uh, coming up in a while where it'll be partly the online negotiation mastery course on the HBS platform, but also in person as well. And it's uh, terrific. Yes. <laughs> also, it's going to require some work to figure out how to integrate the material, but I like the challenge of that. And you, what, what's on the horizon for you? Well, right in the thick of things with teaching and uh, enjoying the moments with my students, and hopefully they're in the moment with me, but it's also that time of the semester where they're starting to turn to what happens next. Where will they go after their time at Harvard, after their time at the Kennedy School? And these days, so many students are kind of doing hybrid ventures like the one you have uh, in front of you. They're thinking about how will they work for a firm, but maybe also where they'll take an idea they have and maybe start something, a new venture, a startup of some kind? Well, that sets the table very nicely for the guest that we'll have in just a bit. Um, Muli Dinar uh, is going to be with us. He is co-author of a great book, Entrepreneurial Negotiation. Wrote it with uh, Larry Suskind. I hope we can recruit Larry at some point to uh, join us as well. So let's welcome uh, Muli into the conversation. Can't wait. So let's get started here. Uh, thank you very much for coming in, Muli. This is Muli Dinar. Kim and I have been talking about your work and so forth. I hope you can tell me what entrepreneurial negotiation is, and I know that uh, Kim has a lot of questions about it as well. There's a book that you wrote with our pal Larry Suskind. I know you've taught in that area and so forth. What do you mean by entrepreneurial negotiation? Entrepreneurial negotiation is a combination of the negotiation skills that are required in entrepreneurship. It may also mean negotiating entrepreneurially in anything else in life. Hmm. But in particular, in this book, we focused on entrepreneurship. You're talking about startups or something more? Yeah. So startups, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, and entrepreneurship, as Howard Stevenson defined it here at the business school, is making use of resources you don't control. Right. Right. And for that, you need to negotiate. You need to get people to support you, to fund you, to buy right. into your vision. Yeah. So it's resources in a tangible sense. You've got a great idea and no money, you know. Um, it's resources in the sense of maybe you need some intellectual property or maybe you need to bring in some talent, uh, uh, whatever. You've got this great idea, but it's going to take pulling together lots of things to make it happen. And the not fully under your control is part of that equation. Exactly. I mean, in the old management world, or if you're you know, in the top-down kind of big corporate, you're given a project. Usually, you're given a budget. You're given people. Maybe you already have the customers. Whereas in, in the pure startup entrepreneurial situation, you have to get the money. You have to get the people before you have the money. You have to get the customers before you have the product. You have to get the designers to build the product before you have the customers. So in that way, you're starting out negotiating. And there's, a, there's an idea phase, as you mentioned. Then there's this startup phase 
then there are different phases the company grows through. And in every one of those phases, you have to negotiate with certain groups of players, right? They could be the outsiders from the company, or they could be your backbone employees, your internal employees, or they could be your external backers, your funders. I've, I've got that, but what I'm wondering about is whether you're talking about a particular context in which negotiation takes place or whether there is something special about the kinds of negotiations that take place in that context, that even if they've read any one of the normal books on negotiation, the familiar ones, there's something special about the entrepreneurial negotiation about which you write and teach. And let me add another question in yeah. all this. It sounds like there's also something of a mindset that one has as an entrepreneur. And would that be a part of entrepreneurial negotiations as well? Yes, that's a great question and a great observation. And that's what I set out to explore. So my background was 20 years in startup environments, in aerospace and in technology companies. I was a venture capitalist for a couple of years. And when I made the switch into becoming a community mediator and a business mediator and teaching negotiation and mediation, this world was still very much alive in me. And what we set out to research together with Larry Susskind, as you mentioned, that we've taught together, is to explore those questions. What is unique about this setting, these, these entrepreneurs, and what are the typical mistakes that they make? And this book is built around identifying what is unique in this situation and what those typical mistakes are and how to overcome them. So can you walk us through a couple of those top-line mistakes that entrepreneurs are prone to? Sure. I know one of your recent episodes uh, included Balachandra on pitching, right? Right. So one of the situations we see often is entrepreneurs are so enamored about what they've developed, about their idea, about what they need, and they want to tell the world about it. And they view this as a pitch, which is a one-directional communication. And what we found out is that is a mindset, as you said, and also a mistake. Because every one of these meetings with a potential funder, a potential backer, a potential employee is actually a negotiation. Say, more, say, yeah. say, say more. So the pitch, if I get this correctly, is kind of one-way conversation and you're looking for something that flows in both directions? Right. So it's not important to only to know where they're coming from, who your audience is. You really need to identify their interests, satisfy the emotional concerns that are in there, the core concerns, the factors, and build this as a negotiation. I'll give you an example, which is the first case in the book. We have actual entrepreneurs on video and in the book with their cases. And this is an entrepreneur who came to pitch. A minute into his pitch, the, the VC says, yeah, 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 we heard several pitches like this, just give us the prototype. And he was very upset because he had a process for the meeting. He wanted to go through his 10 slides and then show them the prototype. And so they got into an argument about the process. Then he gave them the prototype. They look at it for 30 seconds and said, this won't work. And he was triggered, shut down. He didn't want to do business with them. And I'm, in a nutshell, turning this few-minute conversation with him that you can right. uh, read and, and see. But the fact was he did not think what he would be getting from them other than funding. He was tunnel visioned on that. And he was concerned about his own interests. 
and he didn't think about listening and catering and having this as a conversation, as a negotiation about the process as well. Mm-hmm. And I when would... he learned to fix that, he learned to, A, identify it in himself and to fix it, he did much better. So, so that's number one on your list of mistakes. I, I wonder whether I – mean, it takes some audacity to think that you've invented the better mousetrap. And so you've pitched yourself already on it. It's one thing to write a book where you say that's mistake number one. But if you're prone to that emotionally, if you're so invested in it, how, how do you dial back, uh, not just know about the possible trap, but escape from it? So in the book, we, we sort of look at four phases. One is preparing to prevent these typical mistakes. The other is detecting when they are happening or just about to happen, mm-hmm. when they're imminent, um, and responding in real time in order to avoid them or minimize the impact of that mistake as it happened. And then the fourth one is reflecting afterwards to see how you should change your behavior, how you should change your preparation and behavior at the table next time. So for example, this entrepreneur we're talking about, Eli, who's the number one in, uh, in the book, as you mentioned, the, the case, um, he realized that when he starts saying the word but, starts opening the sentence with the word but, that means he's gotten into a defensive win-lose kind of argument mindset. And he coached himself to identify it as a detector and to switch to curiosity. And instead of arguing back, saying, well, why do you think that won't work? What are you seeing that you don't like? And why is that? And so he forced himself as he felt this emotional trigger and the physical symptoms of getting defensive to switch to curiosity and turn this into a dialogue. So there's a level of self-awareness that's critical at the outset. Um, which is different from a, a step in a way. It's a way of being as opposed to something that you, that you do. Yeah, and so developing that self-awareness is part of your process, your evolution as a negotiator, as a leader, as an entrepreneur. And those three are very closely connected. So it sounds like another part of this, though, is other awareness, of becoming aware of the other party. Say more about that if you can, Louis. Yeah. Um, th- we talk about uh, in, in negotiation and in the book, and actually there's an appendix at the end that forces you to look at things from three perspectives, from your perspective, from the other side's perspective, and from the bird's eye view or the balcony perspective. And if you can describe the situation you're going into from those three perspectives, or at least spend time preparing from those three perspectives, you'll be able to anticipate some things you should do, and some things you should not do. Entrepreneurial negotiation is the main title, but the subtitle is Understanding and Managing the Relationships that Determine Your Entrepreneurial uh, Success. So it is relational in that sense, and uh, as you say, it becomes, if you know what your trigger is, that I can hear the but word coming out, uh, not yes and. Um, if you recognize that in real time, then you move to inquiry. Right. And so, so that was one of the cases. And to, to write this book, we've researched a lot. Of, we've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs. And what we're looking for were successful entrepreneurs that are self-reflective, self-aware enough, and willing to share their failures with us. Hmm. It was important to hear f- about their failures. Yes. 
Yes, and, and their learnings. And so uh, I'll share an example. Another life sciences founder came, you know, grew up as a scientist. Her parents were academics. She says on camera, it was unseemly to bargain. We were taught not to negotiate, right? Mm-hmm. Just look at the facts. Look at the data. And so she had a hard time asserting herself into some of these negotiations, and she ended up negotiating against herself often. Hmm. Well, what if I gave you 100? Uh, um, I can see you're not reacting well to that. How about 90? Right? And so she goes through the whole process how her first startup failed because of these failed relationship, internal and external. And now she's on to her second and third startup, and she has learned to overcome those habits. So I've seen some of these videos, but remind me, if somebody gets the book, which we strongly recommend, how do they have access to these interviews? The website, entrepreneurialnegotiation.com, has some of the promo videos on the videos tab, and then a place to sign up, and you'll have the link for the uh, full videos. Wow. So let me ask you something that I think comes up a lot for people, and it's this idea of catching yourself in real time. That's really hard to do. Usually people catch themselves after that moment that just happened, and then <laughs> they have talk, to recoup. talking about me, Kim? <laughs> <laughs> so so is, is that what you mean, that it's after you've made that mistake, how you can quickly recoup and, and move ahead, or do you really... Or you have some evidence that people can catch themselves prospectively. Yeah, we all make mistakes, and we're bound to make mistakes. And when you're in entrepreneurship, there are four factors that are really heightened, and, and uncertainty and complexity, emotions and egos, right, and the relationships, as you mentioned. Um, you are going to make mistakes, and you're moving very, very fast. You're trying to do many, many things. Um, so you can't play it safe and not make any mistakes. The, the, the idea is to recognize when you're just about to make them or when you've just made them and respond in the moment. How can you respond better? And if you can change your, your mindset or apologize quickly and move on, then that may work in certain situations. So, so let's take Barbara, for example, that we were talking about. Um, she realizes that she te- has this tendency to keep talking when, when there's silence. And so she actually learned to bring a colleague with her to the room, and they had a signal which said, just shut up. Just wait for them to answer. You've said your piece. It's their turn to talk. So that's interesting, too, because you're saying that some of this we may need a partner to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, one of the mistakes we've seen with some of these entrepreneurs is they work alone. Uh-huh. They prepare alone. They don't have a second set of eyes on their prep for a negotiation. Or they go in alone and they claim to have all the authority where the other side says, well, I need approval from my back table. So they need to be able to think about how negotiation is actually a team sport. It's a team sport in practice, in preparations, and it's a team sport at the table. And definitely afterwards, because others can see what you've done at the table much better than you can come away from the meeting thinking you've done. So, so Molly, Kim's training, her doctorate is in psychology. I'm going to turn to her and ask, ask a question. You're teaching adaptive leadership. I am fixated on agile negotiation. But in terms of self-awareness, whether we're going to a conventional negotiation or we're trying to launch a, a startup, we 
bring all of our history, all of our temperament, all of our strengths and our weaknesses to the table. Absolutely. Is there a way of jump-starting self-awareness, or, or is that just something that maybe we get better with, with experience and age? Well, I think what I'm struck by with Muli's work is that he's recognizing that we're all moving so fast these days, that these entrepreneurial negotiations are happening at high velocity, but so is most of the work that's happening in organizations or even in universities for that matter. So I think what I am hearing is that it's self-awareness plus other awareness and trying to learn as quickly as you can in real time. You know, usually we're learning after the fact. We debrief with others a day later. I think you're saying debrief in the next 30 seconds, the next 45 seconds. I think you're on to something very important. Um, to create a good learning culture, a good debrief culture, you need to debrief every negotiation. And when I say debrief, it could be 30 seconds on your commute home thinking, what was the one thing I would do differently in the next negotiation? It's, it's, it's that simple. But creating the habit of doing that every time, this sort of hygiene mm -hmm. habit, really is what's going to get you learning. If you say, I'm only going to negotiate the main negotiations, or I'm only going to negotiate when something terrible happened, you are not going to create this learning culture. But it also sounds like you have to know something about what your own defaults are, that if there's silence, you're inclined to speak, or maybe that if someone is responding to you in a gruff manner, that that tends to trigger something else maybe from your history or right. background. So that learning uh, about who you are comes to these entrepreneurial negotiations. Yeah, who you are and what the situations are. So Barbara, for example, had one of her investors wouldn't look her in the eyes. He would only talk to her male counterpart. She's the CEO. She's the founder. She's presenting something. I wish I could and, say that was unusual. And, and <laughs> he's asking the question to the VP that's sitting next to her. And so, it, it, yes, it triggered her. And then there's a decision what to do. And it's a team decision. In this case, she needed the support of her colleagues to say, that's a great question. Barbara is an expert on this. Barbara, what do you think? But you need to make the, the, be aware, both, as you said, of this inner personal stuff and the intrapersonal and the situational awareness. And I'm struck by the, uh, when you're talking about uh, those moments that uh, when people are triggered, and that's a word my students use a lot, it, it becomes really difficult to do exactly the thing you suggest is necessary, and that's to think. Instead, we tend to feel so activated and want to just respond. Yeah, and so some of these tips are simple and common sense, right? Allow yourself to take a break. Negotiate ahead of time that you may actually take a break. Find a way with your teammates to signal, maybe it's a good time to take a break now, right? And, and by telling the other side, look, there's three of us here. We may want to sort of take a break in the middle and just check in. That's nothing to do with you. It's part of our team habit. Those kinds of things, yes. It's what we do around here. Yeah. The... Uh thing that's interesting to me is, as you say, these are simple steps, but merely telling people about them is itself a first step. Um, executing it is, is another. Awareness of triggers, as you say, Kim, and in terms of being able to respond quickly. Are there other mistakes on the list that we ought to uh, at least tick off? Well, one of the ones uh, 
uh, that I talk about, again, another uh, female young entrepreneur, at least in the life sciences, represents the, the mistake of sometimes being overconfident, not overconfident in your abilities, which many entrepreneurs are, or right. as you said, their company being the next Microsoft or Apple, but overconfident in the process or overtrusting of the process and the hmm. other side. Hmm. So Elise agreed verbally on some terms of the deal with a potential investor, was happy, turned back to do the work. And a few weeks later, the first draft comes in and they've got different numbers there, right? There was not a negotiation of the process or a negotiation of the norms of negotiation. So I think one of the things I really recommend is people to think about negotiating your process of negotiation and some ground rules in every engagement. Kim, and this will bring Muli back in too, People can be entrepreneurial in a long-standing organization. Somebody has an idea either for a new initiative or for a different process or something of that sort. We talk about beyond your control. It may be that there are norms formal and otherwise that you're saying we need to say goodbye to those and do something differently. When we're in that phase of growing an enterprise, public or private, as you, as you say, how does entrepreneurial negotiation still manifest itself and what do people need to be aware of? Yeah, you, you bring uh, two things to mind that are really important. One is there is this thing called intrapreneurial or intrapreneurship, which is within organizations, within corporations, there are those people who innovate and operate within the internal structure as if they're entrepreneurs. Let's say you're at a university or a company where budgets are an annual cycle. But in, the, in May, you identify this great opportunity. You can't wait for the next budget cycle in order to act on it. You have to start creating the coalition, the alliances, and the support to approve that budget, to divert resources, and to act on it now. So it's true. Innovation and change within organizations require this exact kind of mindset and, and skills. So the ability to seize the moment, but also figure out how to make the partnerships. Right. And, and so that's within a fixed organization setting where some opportunity comes up. The other thing that's happening today is that the environment is changing so fast. And, and the the entrepreneurial reaction or the adaptive leadership or the adaptive negotiation skills that are required is because something has changed externally. I was right. consulting this big multi-billion dollar company that was family founded over generations. And they were in the habit of awarding this contract to a local company because they didn't want to hurt this local company partner because they're the big job provider in the region, and they've done business with them for three generations. When we interviewed the small company, they didn't want this contract. But this big employer was such a big part of the community that they went along with this contract just because they wanted to appease the big company. For years, they've both been carrying out this agreement because they cared so much about the relationship, they never actually talked about the interests and how the world has changed, and what they were doing was not required anymore. It's like people are following old algorithms. They're following old models without necessarily being mindful yeah. of whether or not it fits the present or the future, for that right. matter. Well, it's interesting to have something that has both um, negotiation 
and leadership dimensions here. The book is Entrepreneurial Negotiation. Samuel is your given name. Muli is what uh, we call you. And you did this with uh, Larry Suskind. So people can go to www, finish this for me. Entrepreneurialnegotiation.com. All one word, right? Yep. And they can see some sample videos of these people that you interviewed and yep. so forth. And if you sign up, you can actually see the full teaching videos that we use in class. There's a course oh, great. Um, by the, the same title that we're teaching at MIT and is available online as well. And these videos are part of that. Well, I hope that we can get you back for another interview, but other work that you're doing. But you're great to come over on what I'm sure is a busy day for you, Muli. So thank you very much. It's very exciting to have you. All right. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you both. Let's remind people about how they can chat with us and with their fellow listeners on our Negotiation 360 website. Well, it's not just the chat that they can have with us and other listeners, but there are other resources uh, on the site. Um, you can find my Negotiation 360 self-assessment and best practice app. There are links to online courses, and we're putting up articles that you and I have written together and maybe some others as well. So there's lots of stuff on agile negotiation and adaptive leadership. Much of it is free. We've even simplified the URL for podcast listeners. Here's how to find us. Just key in the letter N, as in negotiation, and the numbers 360.expert. That's N360.expert, and you'll find us. <laughs>